I want to extend a welcome as well to our guests. If you're visiting this morning, we want to extend a warm welcome to you and thank you for choosing to be here with us today. And we hope, as Mark said, that you'll uh, stick around after worship and give us an opportunity to get to know you better if you're visiting this morning. Uh, It's already been a great day, and I I hope that you have been encouraged, and I hope that you'll continue to be as we spend some time in God's Word together this morning. Uh, I want to thank Mark and the worship team for leading us and Stan and leading our thoughts around the table. Uh, We have just a couple more weeks in a series that we're in currently that we've been calling Becoming Church, and really this series is a study through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we're thinking together about how to become the church that God imagines for us to be. And so we have just a couple of weeks left, and in case you've missed any of the other weeks, the thing we've been talking about, again, is, is how, to, how to be the people that God wants us to be. And so the thing about studying through a book, though, is that sometimes you jump into a conversation like today in chapter 14, that is really informed by chapters 13, chapter 12, chapter 11, even chapters 9 and 10. What Paul is going to say this morning in 1 Corinthians 14 is really informed by what he's been saying the last several weeks. So if you've missed a couple of sermons in this series, if you missed all the sermons in this series, I want to encourage you to go to our website uh, and get caught up. Uh, those sermons will provide some background for what I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to attempt to do it, give a little bit of that, but there's no way I can give it all. And so uh, go to our website or, or listen to it on our podcast, if, if, however you access those, but I would encourage you to do that. Um, before we jump into chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14, you want to find a Bible and, and look there because we're going to read that chapter, and it's a little bit longer than some of the other chapters, and so I want you to follow along with me. But before we do that, I want to pray uh, and as we pray, I want to, I want to practice becoming the church by, by uh, praying for a, a few specific things that, uh, that I want you to be aware of. One of those is uh, really in the way of an announcement. Uh, Margaret Brimer has been a member here and l- moved away, left for a while, and is back. Uh, and so, Margaret, where are you sitting over here this morning? She's over here. She's waving her hand. Uh, I want you to be sure and, and greet her again this morning, and uh, we can welcome her. Yeah, I heard somebody about to clap. That's great. <clears throat> also, I see sitting over here, uh, Kevin and Cindy Mahaffey. Uh, they have been visiting here for several months, and uh, we prayed for their daughter, Tammy, last Sunday in the Shepherd's Prayer. Uh, I want to report to you that Tammy Tammy was in ICU uh, up in Denison, and things were looking uh, pretty pretty dark at certain points along the way, and God has answered the prayers that have been prayed on her behalf, and, and uh, she's doing much better, not out of the hospital yet, but uh, I want you to be praying for Kevin and Cindy's daughter, Tammy, as well. And then also, I was given a note that I want to read uh, from the Benson Mitchell family, and, um, and so it says this, we would like to express our sincere gratitude to our church family for loving Benson through his long illness and recent passing. By loving him, you have in turn shown love to us. Thank you for the lovely meal, for every card, visit, prayer, hug, and encouraging word. Every kind expression of your love and sympathy has blessed us greatly. Uh, Signed, the family of Benson Mitchell. I know some of them are sitting over here this morning. And so uh, I want to thank you for the way that you've done that as well. And so I'm going to ask if you would just to stand again with me as we pray. Uh, If you're near any of these folks and you want to go put a hand on them, Uh, That would be a great encouragement to them, I'm sure, as well, as we get started this morning. 
Father, we're thankful today for your love for us, uh, the way that we get to be a part of a community of faith, God, and see your love expressed uh, in the way that we share life with one another. And we want to continue to pray for the family of Benson Mitchell. We pray you'll surround them uh, today and in the days to come. We're thankful for their family and, and what they've meant to this church for many years. And we're grateful for the opportunity that uh, many of us had to surround them uh, during Benson's illness and uh, passing and funeral this last week. We pray, Father, for uh, Tammy, Kevin and Cindy's daughter. We ask your blessing to continue to be upon her. and We're thankful for their uh, entrusting us with uh, the opportunity to pray for her. We pray you'll continue to bring about healing in her life and that uh, she'll see your work in her life as a result of that. And God, we also this morning want to recognize and, and welcome again uh, Miss Margaret Brimer, and we're grateful for her desire to be a part of this family again. And I know many of us feel like she, she never really left, and so we're grateful that she's here and, uh, and, and has already begun serving and gotten involved in a variety of ways. And we look forward to the ways that you'll continue to use her in the days and weeks and years to come. We're thankful again, God, for this church, for the chance to gather this morning to be encouraged and to honor you and to lift the name of Jesus high. And we pray that as we study your word together this morning that you'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear all that you want us to see and hear so that we might live into the will that you have for our lives. We pray in the all-powerful name of Jesus Christ and the church said, Amen. Thank you, guys. Y'all can have a seat again. <clears throat> so 1 Corinthians chapter 14, again, I'd encourage you to find a Bible or, or look it up on your phone. There should be some Bibles in front of you. Uh, we have a lot to cover. Um, there's, like I said, it's a lo- little longer than the other chapters, and so I encourage you to, to, to read along with me. This morning, really, what we're going to do is, uh, we're just going to have a little bit of a Bible study, if that's all right. Uh, because because the, the, some of this text that we're going to read uh, just requires, I think, a little bit different sermon. It, it needs to be explained. There's some background. So if you like history and you like to know what exactly things are going on, you know, this is the sermon for you. If you don't like that kind of sermon, come back next week and you might get a different one. So, um, But <clears throat> this, this text requires that we do a little bit of digging and a little bit of thinking about, uh, about what Paul is writing here. And again, if you're jumping into this series and this is the first Sunday or you've missed some, uh, I can try to catch you up after this or go back and listen to previous sermons, but hopefully this will still be uh, a blessing to you as as you uh, maybe learn something about God's Word here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So Paul begins this uh, this chapter. Let's read in verse 1. He says, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. But the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Again, everybody clear so far? 
Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will be ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you are praising God in the spirit, how can someone else who is now put in the position of an, of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you're saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Paul bragging a little bit there. That's Bible humor. It may not come, it may not come through to you, but I think that's kind of funny. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to, be, to, in regard to evil, be infants, but it, in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even when, the, when they will not listen to me, even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers and, or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, I said this in a previous sermon, but I want to just give you a, a sense of uh, some of the, the biblical language here. When he says tongues, if that's not a familiar term to you, he's talking about languages. And so it would be like coming into an assembly, a gathering, a worship gathering, and a lot of different people in the room speaking in different languages and some people not being able to understand what other people were speaking because they didn't know that language. And so that's kind of the, 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 that's what he means when he talks about speaking in tongues. Prophecy, you really need to think about prophecy as like preaching, like what I'm doing now, prophesying about the Word of God, okay? So we're going we're gonna to talk about chapter 14 some more, but before we get into 14, this conversation actually started all the way back in chapter 11, as I said a minute ago, all of these things that Paul is saying are really connected to each other. And so you don't have to look there, but in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 17 and 18, Paul writes these words. He says, in the following directives, and these directives that we just read are part of what he's been talking about now this whole time. He talked, it certainly applies to what he said in chapter 11, but remember, this is a letter that he wrote to a church 
he had some specific things to address with them. And so he, he lays out in chapter 11, in the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Your, your worship gatherings do more harm than good. In the first place, he says, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. So Landon, you can keep that slide up there for just a minute. Paul would go on from this point in chapter 11 to talk about the way that they were handling themselves in regard to the Lord's Supper, specifically what we just celebrated, what we just took part in as Stan reminded us around the table about all the sacrifice that Christ went through on, on our behalf. So he says this, and then he goes into chapter 11 and, and, and speaks specifically into how they're doing communion. And I did a whole sermon that I thought was really good on that a couple of weeks ago. You should go listen to it if you weren't here. But most of the time, this is what happens when we read the Bible. Because of the fact that, and again, I've, you've heard me say this before, I think this is an example of where having uh, numbers next to these chapters and verses in the chapters actually hurts our attempts to read the Bible in the right way because uh, we, we stop at chapter 11, usually. right? We say, well, here's what Paul said about the Lord's Supper. And then in chapter 12, Paul talked about spiritual gifts and Here's what he said about spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 13, he talks about love. That's what we talked about last week. And so here's what he says about love. And then chapter 14, he's going to talk about worship, and that's a different conversation. And what I want us to understand is that it is all the same conversation. Paul's still having the conversation, right? It's like the way I want us to think about it. And you, you may notice we, I expanded our table a little bit this morning because I want this to be a mental picture for us that, Paul sat down at the table in chapter 11 to talk about the Lord's Supper, but he didn't get up from the table yet. He's still sitting at the table giving a table talk, which means that from chapter 11 all the way up to this point that we just read, he's still talking about some of the same things. And he says their meetings do more harm than good. Their, their worship services do more harm than good. There are divisions among them. They're missing, that's one thing that he mentions here. He goes on to talk about how they're missing the point of the Lord's Supper altogether because they're not looking each other in the eye. They're, not, they're neglecting each other and not discerning the body. In chapter 12, he talks about how they misunderstand the, the spiritual gifts. And now here in chapter 14, we, we, we learn that they are misusing the spiritual gifts. Gifts of speaking in another language to God. And he says, if, if someone speaks in another language to God and you don't understand it, then that, that gift is only a, is, it's not for anybody. It doesn't edify or build anybody else up. It's only for the person and for God. But prophecy, a gift that can be shared with the, with the church, is, is designed to build up the body. So it makes it a, a more meaningful, significant spiritual gift to have. But they're mis, misusing the gifts in such a way that their worship services are chaotic. So the issue in the first part of chapter 14 is about speaking in tongues and prophesying. And there was a belief in the church that, that these two spiritual gifts were somehow the most important, like more impor important than the, gift of, the spiritual gift of encouragement, right? More important than the spiritual gift of, of service, of leadership, maybe whatever, whatever it may be. That somehow these were more important. So Paul says... Speaking in tongues is a spiritual gift, but it's only between the person and God, and it doesn't bless the body. Prophesying, again, think of preaching when you hear the word prophesying, on the other hand, benefits the church because what is shared is intended, is designed to encourage, 
to instruct, to build up the church. But remember, again, Paul is speaking to them as a gathered body. Somebody was probably reading this letter that Paul wrote that arrived to their church. Somebody was probably reading this letter. Really, the letters that Paul writes to churches, we can think of even as like sermons. They're, They're a little bit like sermons. I'm preaching someone else's sermon today. Right? He, he's preaching a sermon to the church in Corinth that we're now applying in our context here. And they're gathered as, as they're doing that, and they're gathering around a table to share the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. So if you're sitting at a table and you cannot see everyone that is gathered with you, then you might be missing the point, he says. Right? He says when, when we're praying... I'm praying with people at the table. When I'm singing, I'm singing with people at the table. When there is someone standing up to proclaim a word from the Lord, what we're doing is doing that as a gathered body around the table. And, and in our structure, in most every church, the structure it looks more like this. So it's sort of hard for us to imagine all of us sitting at one really long table. And, and doing what we're doing around a table, but which, which wouldn't work, right? And logistically, it would be really, really difficult. And so our, our structure is fine. This is fine to do it this way, but what we have to do as we gather is remember that this is the reason that we actually came. What I'm doing is not the reason we came. It's, it's part of it. What we do a minute ago with singing is not the reason we came. It's part of it, but it's not the reason. The, the reason we come is to gather around the table and remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so he says, everything you do is based upon coming together around the table. So that when you so because of that, when you gather, there needs to be some order. Otherwise it would it would be it would be chaos, right? You've probably sat at a table that felt chaotic before. And he doesn't want the gathered body to, to things to look chaotic, especially, as he says, when, when someone who isn't a part of the church comes in, it would be a turnoff. They're like, what in the world is going on with these people? They've lost their minds, right? you got some people over here speaking in different languages, and you got people, somebody's prophesying and teaching and preaching over here, and they're interrupt, being interrupted by this person over here. And so that's what he's talking about. When they, their, their, their structure looked different than ours. And we've, we and most churches have have changed the way we do it to a point where now there's one person that stands up and proclaims from God's word a word from the Lord, right? And so we've kind of figured out some of those things, and yet it's important that as we do those that we not forget that we're doing it around a table, always around a table. As you discern the body of Christ, you have to pay attention then to the faces at the table with you. And recognize each other's gifts and allow people to use those gifts in a way that builds up the church. You may have noticed in what I read, he talks about building up the church multiple times in just these first 25 verses. Why is that such a big big deal? Why is the table and gathering around the table such a big deal? I think it's because he believes that if we can function around the table and get along and be unified, then anything is possible. If you can get the table right, then you'll do other things right too, like unity, like treating people the way you want to be treated, like honoring God and making everything that we do about 
Jesus, which they were not doing. They were making it about themselves, like creating a welcoming environment for guests that, that, that come into our gathering, right? So that's, that's the first 25 verses. We're going to come back to some things that I think he says about the table, but I want to keep reading in verse 26 through the end of this chapter. He continues, and he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. See, that's exactly the thing that, he, that I just said. He just he keeps reiterating this same theme. And, and you might notice he says, When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, and a tongue, or an interpretation. Right? That look, that's different than the way we do it. And, and so the, their, their structure, their context, the way that they did it, they, were, they weren't respecting one another in such a way that it allowed for the church to be built up because it was chaos when, when they gathered. And when, when other people came in, they saw that. And so his, his objective is that the church be built up. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak one at a time and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who is sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For for you all can prophesy in turn so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. There's the same theme again. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people who it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything must be, should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay, so the first thing I want to say about this, again, just kind of as a, this is more a little bit more Bible study kind of background this is important to know, though, I think. The verb to speak. Uh, some try, some, some, sometimes translated in this chapter uh, and other places as well, but since we're in 14, this chapter. The, the verb to speak, uh, sometimes translated as the word say, say, speak, is used more than 20 times in the 40 verses that we just read. Okay, That's important to know. If you add the word prophecy, that number is over 30 times. If you add the, the word tongues, it's, it's more than that, right? So what, what we get a sense of is that more than 30 times in 40 verses, instructions are given to the Corinthians about their speech in worship. I want to say that again because I think it's really important to understand what he's saying. More than 30 times in 40 verses, instructions are given to the church about their speech in worship. Why is this? Because again... Paul wants things to be done, as he said multiple times in those last verses, in a fitting and orderly way. And what he really wants is for us to follow the way of love, which he said back at the beginning in verse 1. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. He wants us to follow the way of love. And so, again, the important thing 
about studying a book of the Bible, which we've been doing since August, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. And it's why I keep saying every single week, if you've missed a sermon, please go back and listen to some that you've missed. Because the important thing about studying through a book is that you hear verses in their context as they were written and intended to be heard. And what we have done, we and Christians worldwide have done as we read the Bible, is that we think we take this piece of Scripture and we talk about it, and we take this piece of Scripture and we talk about it, and we dissect those and we critique those. And some of that can at times have benefit and value, but sometimes it can be hurtful to the way that we read Scripture because we begin applying things that we observe that weren't intended to be observed and applied. And so here he is specifically speaking to a church about their speech, right? And if you're studying through a book of the Bible, the the thing that I like about it is that I hope that you like for me as, as, as your preacher is that studying through the book of Bible does not allow me to pick passages of Scripture that I like to preach. I wouldn't pick this one, right? I wouldn't pick it. We would spend most of our time in the Gospels probably, you know, 90% of the time if I was picking. And so the, the, the practice of preaching through a book like 1 Corinthians is you can't avoid passages like we've just read or others in this book that have been difficult to understand and think about and comprehend and interpret. And so what we're really doing as we study through a book of the Bible is being, becoming better Bible students. I'm, I'm trying to make Bible scholars out of all of us. Because I want us to learn to read Scripture in a way that is helpful for us as we become built up in Christ and helpful for the body as we are all built up in Christ. And I think this second half of chapter 14 is a great example of the benefit of studying a book in in its entirety so that it doesn't allow us to determine how we read or or if we read at all certain verses. And I say all of that to say, Because many of you know that these verses have been used to teach about the role of women in the church, right? And and focus, lots of focus has been given to women, the, the party says about women being silent in the church. But I think that the point of this whole section happens in verse 26 when he says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together Each of you has a hymn or word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. That is Paul's hope for this church. And that is Christ's hope for us. That everything we do when we gather is done to the building up of the body and the magnification of Christ alone. Not for my glory or your glory or anybody else's glory, but that Christ's name is what we leave with on our lips as we leave each and every week. And he says that in Corinth, the way that the building up happens for them is the way that they share the floor. Right? And there is a way to share the floor, Paul says. And then he speaks to three groups of people And many of us, as we've studied 1 Corinthians 14, have only heard or have mostly heard one group of people highlighted in this conversation. But Paul speaks to three groups of people, and those three groups are those speaking in tongues, those that are prophesying, and then to women. He speaks to these three groups. 
If someone is speaking, go back and look and check me and make sure I'm telling you the truth. If someone is speaking in tongues and there is no one to interpret, then the tongue speaker, the person speaking to God in Spanish, and all of us are English speakers, or the majority of us are, and most of us don't understand Spanish, then they should sit down, he says, right? Because it isn't going to be beneficial to anybody. If someone speaks in a language that is not understood by the majority of the crowd, then that person should sit down. The word he actually uses is that speaker should be silent. A couple of prophets, preachers should speak. But, he says, if someone receives a more current revelation from the Holy Spirit, then the first preacher prophet should sit down, should stop, he says, be silent. And I'll just share this as a bonus since we're just doing Bible study here this morning. But to even do that, right, to even have one person that stands up and speaks and then another person that receives a revelation from the Lord stand up and this first person sit down, we have to do some work on creating a more robust understanding of the Holy Spirit and the way that God reveals things to us as His people, church. Because we don't do that either, right? So, so that's, there's that. And again, the goal, though, he says, that's an aside, so back to the point. The goal is instruction when there's someone prophesying or preaching and encouragement, the church being built up. And then, after he's talked to those two groups, he speaks to a group of women. Now, a couple of things to know about this. He said women be silent, and so we got to deal with that, and I will in just a second. But that conversation usually goes back to, and this is why I'm connecting it to, to earlier chapters as well, because I think Paul's been in a conversation the whole time, and if we just jump into chapter 14 and we forget what he's already been saying in chapters 9, 10, 11, 12, and 13, then we, we read chapter 14 in a very specific way. But in chapter 11, Paul also gave some instruction about what to women about what to do, especially what to do when they pray and they teach. Some of you were here and you'll remember, but in case you weren't, I want to remind us in chapter 11, he says this. He says, but every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, and you can go back and read chapter 11. The, thing I, the reason I'm highlighting this specific part of chapter 11 is that we have to deal with the fact that some women in this church are praying and are teaching. It's already happening, which we need to consider and think about. So right away, what has to happen is we have to determine if women are praying and teaching, which they seem to be based on chapter 11, then either, and I'm not being silly here, I'm, 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 this is you, what you have to do is you read the Bible and determine what it says. But if women are praying and teaching, then either Paul has changed his mind by the time he got to chapter 14, and he didn't explain himself very well if he's changed his mind. Right? Or, which it would be uncharacteristic of Paul, as wordy as he is, to not explain himself. It's kind of my point. Or he has some sort of like short-term memory loss, and he forgot that he said that. Or he's trying to be intentionally confusing. But again, none of those are likely. They're not likely, because Paul is thorough in his writing, as you know. Right? He's specific in what he says. So the question then is, what is going on here? And there are a lot of good theories out there. And you can spend lots of time thinking about those and researching those in your own time. I'll share a couple of them with you now. One of those theories is that the Greek word here for women is the same word that is used and translated into English as wives. Wives and women is the same Greek word. 
So there are some who have suggested that the context of Paul's writing here tells us that Paul is speaking specifically to a group of preacher prophet wives. That's one theory. Another theory is that in their context, it's believed sometimes that men and women worshipped in different places and that there were some women that were coming in and interrupting the worship service in silence. I don't really like that theory because it's, it's it doesn't really seem to communicate all the other things he's been communicating about, the gathered body and all of that. Some believe that, there's, that this is a reference to, as I've talked about in earlier sermons, the culture in Corinth uh, was saturated with uh, gods from, uh, from, from their culture and uh, goddesses uh, and temple prostitution was a big deal. And so Paul is sort of squashing all of that and just saying, stop interrupting the worship service. These temple prostitutes, pr- temple priests, priestesses are coming in and they're making, creating chaos. Right? Again, those are all things that you can explore on your own, theories that you can uh, spend some time on on your own. I'm just giving you briefly a little bit of background on that. But here's what I believe is going on, and maybe it's a little bit of some of that as well. But my understanding about these verses and why I started the sermon the way I did is that I believe that what he's saying is rooted in the table and rooted in discerning the body of Christ as we gather, which we talked about in chapter 11. Paul wants things to be done in such a way that the church is built up. And I believe with all of my heart that in the same way Paul is speaking to the people that want to show off their ability to speak in tongues, and in the same way that he's speaking to the people that are disrupting each other with when they receive a word from the Lord, he is now speaking to a specific group of women that are being disruptive, and, st- and they're, they're being disruptors instead of unifiers. And so his answer for that is to just be quiet. The divisions that exist in the church exist because the church in Corinth is having a hard time loving one another, getting along. Right? He's, you, chapter 11, we read it a minute ago, there are, I have no praise for you, he says, in regard to your gatherings. Nothing you're doing is, 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 helpful, is helpful for the body. He's not writing a book, a letter, about the role of men or women, in my opinion. And we've cherry-picked this verse and not read the previous verses well. When we start talking about the role of gender, we miss the point. I don't think that's Paul's conversation or his issue, quite honestly. I think he's writing to a church that has a massive amount of challenges and issues, the biggest one being that they are not getting along and that they don't care for one another enough to treat each other the way Jesus treated them. And Paul is trying to get them to pay attention to each other, to get around the table, to look each other in the eyes. Because Paul knows something that we all know too. And that is this, that the more you eat with someone, the more you gather around a table to share bread and wine with them, the more you gather to remember Jesus Christ, the more your life will be transformed into the image of Jesus. And for this to happen, Paul says, the most effect, in the most effective way, there has to be order and there has to be structure And in their context, it made sense to do it in this way. I'll suggest to you, and this is, I think, the point, a summary of what I've been saying. I think that a summary of this teaching is that Paul is speaking to their attitude and their heart, not their method or form. 
This teaching is about attitude and heart, not method and form. Paul's words to this church are about their attitude and their heart. He is not giving instructions, in my opinion, as I understand 1 Corinthians 14, for all time about everything. We have already, in one example, we, we already believe this, right? Because we've already decided that this instruction is not for all time about everything because women aren't silent in our gatherings, in our classes, you know? And what's more, we don't speak in tongues. And if there's one person standing up here preaching, I'm, I have never been interrupted before, but I mean, you know, we, could, we, we would need to do that in an orderly way that blessed and benefited the body. But we're already, the way we structure our gatherings already communicates that we've determined that what he's saying is specifically to them and some things that are going on about them. So it's not about, the, that's what I mean by not about their methods and form, the way they do things. If we believe that this instruction is about methods and forms, how we do things, then we got to address some things. We got to do some thinking in our own context about what all that looks like and not just focusing on the one part about women being silent. And what we must do is use the wisdom and gifts that God has given this church body to determine how we live out the gospel in our context for the sake of the world as God's people with God's word as our guide. And the focus is to build up the church, always to build up the church, to help it be united with Christ and to grow in Christ. He ends this section with the words in verse 40, But everything should be done in an orderly and fitting way. Paul is still sitting at the table at the end of chapter 14, asking the church in Corinth to join him and asking us to join him and consider one another, to look each other in the eye and to be the body of Christ and to share the body of Christ. See, we don't just share the body of Christ, right? We we realize we use that phrase in both ways, that we are the body of Christ, and yet a minute ago we passed the body of Christ around this room. We share the body of Christ and we are the body of Christ. And I lost my place in my notes. The question I want to leave us with this morning is, can we see all of worship? Are we willing to see? Are we willing to consider that all of worship is being gathered around the table? That's the question I think Paul is asking the church in Corinth, and I think it's the question we must consider as well. That the goal is when Christians gather is for, to worship God and to be built up, and that those things happen through singing and teaching and praying, and in their context, it happened as they shared bread and cup around a table, an actual table, and proclaimed the Lord's death until he comes, and our sharing of that in our context looks a little different, but we're still doing the same thing today. I want to share a quote with you as we close that I thought was uh, instructive to me as I thought about this idea uh, from a preaching friend of mine who, who wrote this. He said, why do we go to church? We go to church because it makes us more like Jesus. Church is one of the main habits, one of the critical spiritual practices that shapes us into the people of God. Because it's hard to think yourself into loving others. It's difficult to study yourself into considering the needs of others more important than your own. Being together around word and table puts us in circumstances and into the habits that will, by God's grace and the power of His Holy Spirit, actually change our feelings and our thinking. 
Doing what Jesus does shapes us into the image of Jesus Christ. What if we understood our church gatherings, and I think we do, but I want us to consider in a deeper way this morning, what if we understood our church gatherings as actual encounters with the Lord God Almighty? What if we believed God's Spirit was so powerfully at work in our songs and in our prayers, in the scriptures that we read as we share the meal together around a table, that what we're doing is singing and praying and sharing a meal, but what's actually happening is that we're being transformed into the image of Christ. What if we allowed ourselves to be swept up into the habits of church as a formational practice, right? Just being here shapes us in a way that is different when we are not here. And you know this because if you've been here enough, what happens after you miss a Sunday is you miss it. And the reason you miss it is because something happens here that will not happen anywhere else on the planet. What if we allowed ourselves to be swept up into the habits of church as we practice these things together and as we expect God to meet us here and move us into a life that is better preparing us for eternal life? What if we were filled with awe at the possibilities in front of us, the people in front of us, filled with awe at the people And what if that all increases as the power of God's Spirit heals and transforms our lives? Paul invites us, church, this morning to take a seat at the table and to look at each other and to share this sacred space each week as we gather to be the body of Christ and as we share the body of Christ. And doing these things in an orderly way that builds the church up with the focus being to honor God and to build each other up is the message for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that when we gather here to take bread and cup, to sing songs and pray, to speak and to dare proclaim a word from your word, that you meet us here and that your instruction and desire is that it happens as we gather in a way that is helpful So that when we walk out the doors, when we leave the gathering each week, that we feel better prepared to take on the world that we live in and to live as your people in this world. And God, I pray this morning that you will, through the power of your Holy Spirit, encourage us and build us up so that we feel that very thing this morning. We feel equipped and empowered to live lives for you tomorrow and on Thursday afternoon and next Saturday morning. And that we remember what we did here today as a way that, as, as, that what happened was that it actually fueled and fed our souls to be better prepared to do those things when we weren't together. We're thankful, God, that you meet us here. We're thankful, Father, for the church, this church, churches in this city, churches in this county, and churches around the world where this morning Christians are gathering to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And our hope and prayer and desire, God, is that Christ's name be more well-known in our lifetime than it was when we were born. And that we got to be a small part of that in whatever way you decided to use us would be the highest calling that we could think of. I pray this morning, God, that you'll bless us on the journey. Thank you for the ways that this body is the church and help us as we seek to become the church that you imagine in ways where we can still improve. 
We pray through the name of Jesus Christ this morning. And the church said, Amen. If you would stand with me this morning, we want to provide an opportunity uh, to respond to God, to respond to each other, to be the church for each other. It may be that you want to you pray with somebody and you may see someone around the room and I would encourage you to go and find them as we sing this next song.